Podcast audience, how are we? How are you? What's going on? Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. The Provider presents Mario Capu. My man, Man Eats Wild on the Outdoor Channel. Restauranteur, entrepreneur, culinary genius, hunter, fisher, provider, living off the land. Mario has done it all. He's been around the world. He literally hunts all around the world. He's cooked all around the world. He's cooked with some of the top celebrity chefs, if there is a such thing, I guess, but just the most passionate chefs and culinary artists um, all over the world. And the conversation's awesome. I love learning from the guy. We're going to have him on several more times. We're going to do some hunts with Mario. We're proud to have him right here at the Foul Life Podcast, the provider presents my man Mario from Man Eats Wild. I hope you all enjoy this. Today's episode is brought to you by the provider, theproviderlife.com. Check out our dry rubs, the provider cookbook, 264 pages, 80 recipes. Mario has it in his hands. He approves of it. He likes the cookbook. He loves the rubs. Um, what can I say? We're so proud of the provider getting ready to launch two brand new rubs, one in the beef, one in the chicken segment. I think y'all are going to really enjoy those to go along with our 10 originals, whether it's the spawn or the flaky or the foul or the crosshairs or the drop time or the dragon or the Sonora, you name it. They're there. The Brit people are loving them on chicken wings, on pork, on your domestic meats, on all of your ducks and geese and venison and all of your wild fishes, your upland birds. It's the provider. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast with Mr. Mario of Man Eats Wild is also brought to you by Sig Sauer. We care about our freedom. We protect our homes, our families, our kids, our communities. We have the right to bear arms through the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, just like we have the right to hunt. But we can't hunt if we're unsafe, if our families aren't in good standing. That's why we rely on our friends and family at Sig Sauer to build the best handguns and to teach the best gun safety and how to use that gun and how to gain confidence with that handgun, how to train with that handgun, how to be ready if the moment ever presents itself. Sig Sauer, the one and only there, innovating the market every day, pushing the envelope. And whether you're up at headquarters at the Sig Sauer experience, you can do it all. Get the training you need, the know-how they're willing to teach, they're willing to instruct. Thank you, Sig Sauer, for being a presenting sponsor here at the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Lear. You have a truck, you have a pickup. I don't care if it's a Toyota, a Chevy, a Dodge, a Ford. Lear makes a camper shell that will custom fit your truck. Short bed, long bed, all the accessories, flip up side windows, double doors, single door, hatch doors. You name it. Lighting, electricity, power sources, the protection, the security, the aesthetics, the look. It's Lear, L-double-E-R. You see them all over going down the highway. There's a reason why Lear is the number one camper shell, number one topper in the history of the world. Get you a Lear, get it on today. We don't go anywhere without our Lear toppers. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Camo Space. Have you built your profile? Have you? It's a community of hunters, fishers, gatherers, providers, wild game cookers, outdoorsmen, outdoors women. Your videos, your photos, your memories, your recipes. Don't be shadow banned. Don't put up with sensitive content just because you've harvested an animal and somebody over at one of the other social media platforms doesn't agree with the lifestyle. It's happening right before our eyes. Good friend of mine just had a picture of a dead deer he killed in Georgia taken off of Facebook or Bookface. That's not cool. That's why Camo Space is here. My good friend Michael Waddell at Bone Collector, he's helping us grow this. My good friend Danny Reed and Art Tucker, my brothers Clinton Clay and Alex Crosby, everybody, we have our profiles over there. We're getting two to 400 new profiles a day. Download the app, one word, camo, C-A-M-O space, S-P-A-C-E, one word, camo space. Build your profile, come join our community, and let's show the world how strong the hunting army truly is. Thank you so much to Mr. Danny, his family, and everybody at the camo space crew. Last but not least, Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Resist All Hats. It's getting Western. We believe in the Western lifestyle, farming, ranching, hunting, fishing, keeping the sun off our skin, cowboys, cowgirls, rodeo, PBR, 
NFR is getting ready to hop off in 30 days in Las Vegas, Nevada. Resist All is a presenting sponsor of the National Final Rodeos and has been for over two decades. Straight out of the biggest state in the union, Texas, it's Resist All Cowboy Hats. We wear them. We believe in them. They're stylish. They make us look better. They make us have more confidence. And that's what Resist All is all about, is making sure that the Western lifestyle stays alive and in the hearts of every American across the board. Thank you so much to the entire family and crew at Resist All Hats. Can't wait to see you guys in a couple weeks down in Texas. And then we'll be seeing you in Vegas at the NFR, the National Finals Rodeo. I hope you all enjoy this. It's Mr. Mario. Man Eats Wild, right here at Provider Presents, the Fat Life Podcast. Thank you all very much. Yeah, it's uh, you'd think that with the mindset and the discipline you have in your routine at home, that you would be able to continue that on the road. But with the the wines and the whiskeys and the, the food and the early mornings and the late nights and the entertaining and the, the FOMO and, and, you know, just all the opportunities that present themselves. It's like I've been with the... I know you've hunted with Chuck and I, I've been with the, you know, the most rigorous disciplined athletes, you know, and then they get on the road and they're just like, oh yeah, we'll find something else to do instead of doing some, some box jumps or some cooler squat. I mean, I try to do this tailgate training deal and it just seems like it just gets harder and harder to, to stay in your routine on the road. Yeah. You just, and the thing is like, you just don't have the equipment. Like it's like, you can do, you know, like you said, box jumps, you can go for a little run, you can, but you can't like, I like lifting weights, man. I like doing big compound movements, squats, benching, like that kind of stuff. It's just almost impossible. But I think like for me, it's like, as long as I don't eat shit, if I eat like, as long as I don't go out and eat shit food and drink a ton of beer, then I can come back pretty good. It's when you start like letting your diet go that, you know, you come back from those trips going, oh, jeez. Do you try to do something every day or do you kind of just give it all up when you're on the road? It depends, bro. Like I just did this huge mission in Idaho that was like, we did 170 miles on foot in eight days. Right. So wow. like, why would I even bother training? It's like, I was, you know, I was wrecked after that. Um, but then like, if I'm on a boat, like, so I do a lot of spear fishing and fishing and stuff like that, then I probably will. Like if we're back at the hotel or back at the cabin or something. I'll, I'll just do like squats, like air squats. I'll pick shit up or just, just move and get the blood going. But um, yeah, for the most part, I try my best. I go, it's good for my brain. I go crazy if I don't train. I do too. How, how much does, I mean, obviously it's healthy, you know, mentally, psychologically, and then, you know, heart wise, blood wise, lung wise, cardio wise, but how much does the role of vanity play in, in your life, Mario? Like, do you do you look at yourself on film and want to slap your producer for letting you look that way? Do you do you cuss yourself in the mirror because you feel like you're getting a little bit of a double chin sometimes? Like the camera truly does add ten pounds. Like does vanity play a big role for you, mate? I'll be lying to you if I said it doesn't. I'd be and any man on the planet is full of shit if they say they don't want to look in the mirror and go, "Wow, I look like he man," right? Yeah. So, like, of course I want to be fit. Of course I want to live forever. Of course I want to feel good. But also, like, who doesn't want to look good? Like, you want to, you don't want to, it's also mental. Like, you know, if you rip your shirt off at the beach and you feel good, man, I can guarantee you, you're doing better in life. Mentally, you're yeah. confident in your conversations. And when you're going to do a deal, when you're approaching people, you feel good in your body. You're gonna. It's gonna translate in in the you know in the form of confidence. So, yeah. I mean, that's. I've got, yeah, it's a big part, man. I mean, I know. Like, I had a shoulder injury. I'll give you an example. And this was a moment of weakness for me, like hundred percent. And in my opinion, it takes a strong man to work that out, right? You can grovel in it, and I did. I was like, I, I couldn't train. I got a bit fat. I got a bit overweight. You know, I mean. I was depressed. I was like, you know, I wasn't feeling myself. As soon as I got over that and started training again, I was like, holy crap, man. I, I, I got myself back. I'm, I'm back. I was just a different person then when I didn't have it in my life. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about the psychological part of exercise and fitness and then the vanity part of it. Um, I don't know if it's ignorant to say but I just come back from a trip the last five days and I was with some people that they were 
maybe 50s, early 60s, and they didn't get around too well. And I, 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 I have an 11 year old daughter about to turn 12. I like to be able to run with her and swim with her and and play volleyball with her and stay active. And I, I would like, going back to what I meant by it might sound ignorant. And I'm not trying to sound like I, that. There's different levels. I'm not saying that I'm better than you because I exercise, but I've never understood the mindset of being okay with not exercising and having a muffin top belly and not being able, not being able to bend over and tie your shoes. Or I've seen people take minutes, not seconds to get out of a car. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I look down on it, but I often ask myself, man, you only get one temple. You only get one chance at this. And I do admit Mario that I exercise a lot now like I used to want to be a pro baseball player and I played college ball and I'm sure you played rugby being from Australia or something like that but now I exercise um, for the vanity part of it and I exercise for the psychological part of it but I just don't understand how you can go through life and not do any of it because I can't imagine not being able to jump around and get out of a car good. And who knows what's going to happen. I can walk out of here and get hit by a bus or have a massive heart attacks dependent on my genetics, but I want to give myself the best chance. So I've never really understood. And I almost get upset at people that take life for granted and don't include exercise in their daily regimen. I totally agree with you, man. It's uh, I mean, firstly, we're meant to be moving around. We're, we're modern humans. Now we're, 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 we're not the same as what we were. 200 years ago, you couldn't, you couldn't get a fit man, a man that wasn't fit. They were all fit. Men, women, we were all fit 100, 200 years ago because we had to be. Now, we don't have to be fit because we have the luxuries of life. We're complacent. The food goes to your front door, for Christ's sake. You don't <laughs> even have to leave your house. Uber Eats, bang. So you can just sit in your, your apartment and turn into a fat slob, right? You didn't have those options, you know, hundred years ago. You had to get out there and get in, get into it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Chad. Do you, um, when you partake in the alcohol part of this lifestyle, um, obviously we preach. We don't preach, but we try to convey the message of of moderation and discipline and don't allow underage drinking and every you know everything is you know safe and enjoy it responsibly, right? Um, right but it's fun. Like, I don't want to tell people like being at duck camp and having a Jack Daniels at a campfire and watching my buddy pick the guitar and sing songs in a karaoke type setting. Is not like the highlight of my life? I absolutely love that. I love being buzzed on Broadway in Nashville and singing along to a Neil Diamond song at a local bar at whiskey banner at losers on mid in midtown or something like I love that part of where this journey of the outdoor world has taken me and all the doors it is open. But do you ever get to the mindset, Mario? Like, do you do you look down at alcohol consumption? Do you enjoy it still? Do you try to moderate even more as we age, or do you take it as it comes and just be like, "Hey, I'm responsible. I've never allowed it. I've never allowed it to get me in trouble." But you do keep it in the back of your mind that too much could turn into something that would not benefit you or your team or your business revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I I mean, look. I- Firstly, I'm Australian, right? So it's in our genetics to drink alcohol. <laughs> We're like born with a beer in our hands. So there's that automatically against me. But, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not a huge drinker, but I have been in the past, right? So like right at this point in my life, I don't drink a lot of alcohol. You know, if we had a big hunt, we were back at camp, you threw me a beer. Yeah, I could have one, two, maybe three beers. After that, I'm kind of ready to go to bed. Because I, I start like falling asleep, right? If you caught me ten years ago, man, I'd smash thirty of them, and I'd still be jumping <laughs> around the campfire, right? So it's it's a. I think at this stage of my life, um, I don't know how old you are, Chad, but I'm getting to a point where it hurts to drink. Like I feel it, you know. So you know, and I, I, it's all about settings. Like I just came back from Europe for two months, and I drank every day. I, I was, but. I didn't feel it. Like I had, you know, I'd go for lunch, we'd have a glass of wine, a couple of beers, blah, blah, blah. Then you go to the beach all day. And I wasn't by any means drunk, but I would have one or two a day because I'm on vacation and I'm in Europe. Would I do that now back in the States, back at home? No way. I can't drink every day. So it's, I, I look at it as like situational and um, how I'm feeling at the time. That will really drive, you know, how much alcohol I'm going to consume or whatever. But, you know, you need moderation too, man. Like 
I know the fittest athletes in the world, they all have a couple of beers or a glass of scotch or whatever when they feel like they need it, you know? So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think um, the overuse of anything is bad, right? So it's like, if you can, you, everyone's got their limit or what's good for them and what's not. I know where mine are. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a three, four drinks kind of guy and I'm, I'm done. Unless it's a special occasion, then, you know, once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll push it. The question, though, Mario, is who's making the drinks? Because sometimes the steady hand doesn't always stay steady when you're pouring your own drinks. <laughs> and the next thing you know, one drink is like four, you know. It's yeah. like that's the issue. But let, let's get into this real quick. I always talk to people about, you know, you go to the south, you got gumbo, you got jambalaya. It's known for something, right? You go to Kansas City, it's known for KC barbecue, Memphis barbecue, Carolina mustard barbecue, Texas beef barbecue. I don't really know if Canada has, is known for anything culinary. And I always tease Canadians because <laughs> I just don't have a lot of good food up there, okay? And I'm not being mean, and I, I just like to cook my own food when I'm in Canada camp. And I've, there's some great people up there, and I've enjoyed many good meals in Canada. But when you go out in Canada, it's not like I'm wowed by the culinary up there, okay? Is Australia the same, or is Australia known for some culinary stuff that hasn't been like you know, like it's a, like a, an Italian move there and open an Italian restaurant? Is actual Austra Australia known for any type of flair? Is there a good way to eat a kangaroo? I'm not being a smartass here, Mario. I'm just <laughs> I've never been, but I've also never heard anybody be like, "Oh man, the food in Australia is amazing. the The local flair is culinary flair is off the charts over there." Mm -hmm. I know you're a successful chef. I know your grandpa was a chef. You come from a long line of culinary, I guess, geniuses, if you will. But is Australia known for food? It definitely is. And I'll tell you, Chad, right now, I'm not being biased. I've traveled all around the world. I've, I've, I've cooked with some of the best chefs in the world, literally, the biggest celebrity chefs that you know. I've probably met most of them. Australia has some of the best food on the planet. And I'll tell you why. It's, it, if you're talking about Australian cuisine, per se, it's, it, there's no such thing, right? It's, it's like... Even America has more of a cuisine culture because you guys have burgers, you have buffalo rings, you have your hot dog. Like there's, there's, there's American foods, right, which you can, you can identify. Australia doesn't really have that. Um, of course, we came from an English settlement. So, you know, and it's frankly, in my opinion, their food is quite boring, right? So in my opinion, I probably upset a lot of people by saying that, but that's, that's my opinion. But where Australia really exceed, excels, right, and, and, and blows the rest of the world to pieces, right, is the multicultural cuisine. So what we've got in Australia is a ton of immigrants. Like, that country was built on immigrants, but not just one or two. Like, you know, we're talking about a whole array of different people. We have Asians, Vietnamese, Chinese, Thai people. We have Italians. We have Greeks. We have Lebanese. We have all these people that came on boats after the World War II, and now all of a sudden they're opening restaurants, they're opening bars, they're opening stuff. And this is people that only one generation ago were in their home country. So the authenticity and the, the it's basically like you're in that country because it hasn't been watered down. It hasn't been seven, eight generations for, of, of, of the food being, you know, Australianized or Americanized, you know, which can happen with cuisine, you know, like, you know, it's people start adding in and changing and it loses its, you know, authenticity. But in Australia, honestly, like you go to Chinese restaurant, you go to Italian restaurant, you go to, it is really impressive food. So where does the, the wild aspect come Um is there a big draw to Australia? I know that people that have that that I've worked with in SCI or they're going after some big game records or trying to complete their big game slams. There are animals. There's buffalo over there. There's the kangaroo. There's different different species that people chase in Australia. But is there a big hunting culture over there? Because you, when you hear of Australia, you hear a lot about the gun rights. You hear a lot about the mandates. You hear about a lot of things that 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 sound almost anti-hunting is it looked down upon over there a little bit it is in in the big cities and you know uh, unfortunately um the, in the cities a hundred percent you know people don't no one hunts it's like if you're from sydney or melbourne and you live 
within a, a 50 mile radius of the city or a hundred mile radius, you're pretty much an alien when it comes to hunting. They, they, they don't get it. They don't understand it, which are, it could be said for a lot of big cities in the world. Once you start going out, like into the outback or, you know, the rural areas, then, you know, a lot of people are hunting. Um, the hunting, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I, I think it's good. We've got a lot of really good deer species, um, a lot of different variations. Uh, we've got samba deer, there's fallow, there's red stags, there's chittle, what you guys call access deer, um, there's rusa. Uh, so there's five or six really big main world-known deer species that are actually really fun to hunt. And I grew up hunting these animals, so they're very close to my heart. Um, also great eating. I mean, access deer to me is one of the best eating deer on the planet. Um, and then, you know, we've got all our uh, invasive species like um, invasive like pests. You know, we have huge pigs, man. You don't mess with our pigs. Our pigs are like crazy big, you know, um, like dangerous, big, you know, mad hogs. Um, and then the water buffalo is a great one. Um, there's, have you heard of Bantang before? They're, 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 they're actually endangered um, bovine species, very, very angry buffalo kind of animal. Um, they're super expensive to hunt because they're so rare. They're endangered in Indonesia, but in Australia, they're actually a, uh, actually they're endangered everywhere in the world except Australia because they're invasive. So you can hunt them there. You find them in the outback. Uh, very aggressive. They're known to charge people and, you know, they bring on a bit of a fight. But um, there's obviously kangaroos, which I think kangaroos now you can't hunt anymore. I, I believe, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they outlawed hunting kangaroos, which in my opinion is ridiculous because you see like mobs of 500, 600 kangaroos. They're like rats. Um, and, you know, as far as environmentally speaking, I don't know what their purpose is. I mean, they're not really some animal that's humongously important to the ecosystem. Um, not saying that they should be eradicated, but I think you should definitely be able to hunt them. Are they um, good? Eat, are they good eating? Yeah, they're pretty. They're lean, man. Like they're lean meat, right? Like you want to talk about, and you know, from because you're a you know a waterfowl and bird you know um, expert, and you that's your thing. Like it's like pheasant, right? If you don't cook pheasant right, it can become dry as a a rubber boot right yeah, so bad. like it's it's not it's a lean meat not very um not a high fat content so it's got to be if you like it's kind of similar to venison in a way you know it's got to be cooked right but yeah it's a it's definitely like i you know i like it i don't mind it um yeah i mean well take me through that mario real quick you mentioned axis deer talk to the audience about let's just say um do you eat the tongue off of an axis deer I've eaten tongue. I don't know if I've eaten an Axis deer tongue, but I've eaten lots of tongue before, yeah. I love deer tongue and elk tongue, and I love beef tongue. Like, I was in California, which they have a very strong, um, you know, Mexican because of all the farmer. A lot of Mexicans, a lot of Latinos, a lot of great, authentic, legitimate Mexican food, right? Like, it's really yeah, yeah. hard to mess up Mexican food, but it's really easy to Americanize Mexican food. And I'm not a big fan of just, you know tons of cheese and tons of things that mask the flavor but lingua and tongue is like my favorite and the, i had tripe down there with an italian family when i was down and i had the tripe the stomach lining yeah. of the cow I, I absolutely love getting um you know unorthodox with it but let's just take a, a regular steak off an axis deer okay let's say it's a backstrap it would be like a filet mignon or maybe you even go a little bit to a loin or a ribeye or something um they they are leaner even the fat pieces of an axis deer than a cow or a steer would be but give me an idea of how you would prepare it to blow my mind <laughs> i've never eaten axis deer and you're like i want to do this now i want you to keep in mind mario man eats wild about our intro to this discussion health do you mask everything with with compound butter do you use a ton of fatty oils do you have to do you cook for flavor do you cook for health needs because you are taking a very healthy piece of meat that doesn't have mm -hmm. any of the steroids or injected anything into it it's wild it's awesome 
Are you going to show me a, a, a blue cheese Oscar top and give me a little bit of a rundown of how healthy this steak stays? Are you a salt and pepper guy or do you get really creative with the compound butters and the chives and all of the things that go into the flavor profile? It's a really good question, man. Um, so the, to me, like I eat two different ways, right? And this is, there's no in between. I either eat healthy or I eat for a ton of flavor. Right, and, and you can have them both. That's possible. There, there is a way of eating healthy and delicious, but there's also a way of eating really unhealthy but goddamn tasty. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I like that way, man. Like, so if I'm cooking on my show, I'll go tasty because I mean, what am I going to do? Show people how to eat a healthy meal? They know how to do that. Get on the internet. They can find a healthy. You know, I could just grill a a, a ribeye chop or a, you know a piece of backstrap and you know, keep it really basic with lemon, garlic, ginger, bit of chili, toss it up in some salad, you know, and there you go. That's a healthy, you know, I could do a Japanese style salad with uh, the shoulder of the, of the access deer and add all sorts of miso and make it really nice. Right. That's cool. But I could also do a French style cuisine and do like a, a white wine or red wine reduction with, you know, shiitake mushrooms and, you know, a whole bunch of herbaceous herbs and, you know, put it in a beautiful crusted, um, you know, um, phyllo pastry and make it decadent and very tasty. So, you know, the beautiful thing about something like Access is you do have the option of going either way with it. And it just depends on, and the same thing can be said with any protein on the planet. I don't care. People are like, oh, what do you do with this? What do you do with that? It's all the same. There's no, there's, it doesn't matter what you pick, right? you can add flavors to any piece of protein will saturate flavor will take in absorb any flavor so it's up to you man like um personally i like when i'm going to cook with some effort and it's going to be you know something special for really good friends i'll go like you know relatively i don't really care if it's healthy or not i'll just be like what is gonna how am i going to achieve the best flavor here according to what i've got and what I want to do. And I'll just, you know, I'll just go for it. If it's like, if you ask me about Monday to Friday, every day at home, I'm eating pretty boring. Like I'm eating, you know, quite healthy, quite lean. And, and that's it. So if you had, if you had one chance to cook your best steak and you've been all over the world, you've been to, I'm sure you've been to Brazil, you've been to Argentina, you've been all over, all over Europe. There's so many different ways to grill a steak, to fry a steak, to barbecue a steak, to to rotisserie. Like there's all types of different ways. You could smoke a steak, then reverse sear it. You could reverse, sear it and then yeah. and then I love reverse searing. That's but my favorite, man. What do you pick then? Is that that's my go-to? Like Suvi, I did it last I like night Suvi. on some. Sous vide is my way. Okay. This is this is this has become everybody's. Sous vide, pack the bags out. If you're if if you if someone said to me, I've never cooked before my first day even looking at a kitchen and I want to make my food taste amazing whack that in a sous vide cryvac and then char it on a grill that's my that's my go-to so sous vide is a french bath water bath yeah so why it's the advantage of sous vide you can't mess it up man it's very difficult to to mess it up um basically you know you are slowly cooking the protein but the thing is it's not exposed to any environmental elements right because it's in a it should be in a um a vacuum sealed bag so yeah for me it's like if i have a rack right so say i've got we've got ribeye on the bone right so well you you guys call them lollipops here i think but um yeah we call them a bone-in tomahawk if they're bigger than a lollipop if it's like a lamb or something like that yeah yeah so it's so so just we call them chops. I don't know, but you talk. I'm talking about the ribeye with the bone in, right? Yeah. I'll get like a six a sixer of those, right? Like so, the ribeye section. Um, keep them whole. Put them in a cryvac bag. Vacuum seal that. Put it in a water bath at sixty degrees, which is um, what's that in Fahrenheit? Uh, sixty man. degrees would be about uh. One twenty. One twenty somewhere in there. One. Yeah. So slowly, right? Not boiling. Let that sit for like two hours, man. Let it sit. And then what happens is it just gets so tender. Like, you know, the toughest meat on earth turns into to mashed potato, man. So, you know, that's a one way of reverse searing. But 
Uh, that's my favorite. That's my go. So you so you pull it out of the bath bag in the in the vacuum sealer and then reverse sear it to get it some more flavor and a crust on it. Yeah, I'll I'll take it out of the bag. At this point, it's cooked, right? And it's pink and it's probably bleeding everywhere. It's really really soft. It's almost like boiling it, but without the water touching the actual um, protein. And then I would probably carve them up into little chops, or I wouldn't. And I would see I was super hot. Bang, bang, bang. Get the grill marks on there. You've got that smoky flavor. You've got that beautiful char grill, you know, intensity. But the inside is like literally butter. It's melting away. And you haven't lost one bit of moisture. So, because it's been in a cryback bag. That's that's the, my way forward. So, is sous vide cheating, Mario? Is crock pots cheating? Are pressure cookers cheating? You're a very um accomplished chef people will look at me and they'll be like why 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 are you slow cooking something well i like to slow cook canada geese i like to break it down like you're explaining with a with a a 180 degree six hour seven hour smoke and then i like to pull pork sandwich it or make enchiladas with it or something like that um (laughs) is there is it is any of this cheating are you so are you so accomplished that you would look down on me if you saw me using a crock pot no way, man. Well, I've had, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of restaurants in my time, and every single restaurant I've been to, they all sous vide. It's a, it's a cooking method. I mean, it's not. It's, it, look. At the end of the day, whatever tastes best is the way you should do it. Right? I'd rather, I'd, if you call it cheating, I'd rather cheat and eat something really nice and <laughs> not cheat and eat exactly. a crap piece of food, right? So, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's just a clever way to cook, right? It's like. Why would I offensively, you know, it's offensive to treat a piece of protein, especially an animal that you've, you've harvested, right, in a, in a bad way, in my opinion. It's like, why would you treat this as, with the, as much respect as possible by giving it, you know, the best treatment that it should have? Um, when you talk to you about cooking, you could see you light up, you get really passionate, um, you love it. But we're not in a restaurant right now and you don't have a hundred orders coming in and you don't have a sous chef over here and you don't have a, a crew of people over here. I just had a conversation yesterday, Mario, about darkness and depression of cooks that I know or chefs that I've met that have either owned their own restaurant or worked for a high-end restaurant to where it almost left them sick of the game. Like they got so fed up they were too married to it. They were too attached to it. They cooked throughout the day with the prep and then the cook and the stress and the pressures. Then it was clean up and all this. And then the next day they're right back at it. Do you love the restaurant game? Would you give, would your advice to me to be, Oh yeah, go for it. Or is there a reason why you're not in the restaurant game as much as you once were? Yes, there is a reason. It, it, it's it, you know, see this face here, man. It should look about ten or fifteen years younger. <laughs> so it is. It is true, like the movie, the movie yeah. Burt with Bradley Cooper, like he was out of his mind, or the movie Chef with John Favreau. He finally just threw his hands in the air and said, "I'm effing out of here, man." Yeah, man, it's bad. It's hard work. It's just like, well, you don't own a restaurant; it owns you, and that's it. There's no question about it. If you want a successful restaurant, if you don't give a crap about how it goes and yeah you can go in one one day a week you're just going to lose a lot of money and uh have a really average product but you know it's uh yeah you're there at 7 a.m um you're prepping all the all morning for for that lunch uh, and then if you then you know you might have an hour off and then you're off doing dinner service and you're leaving at 3 a.m and then there's uh that's pretty much every day of the week and then the weekends obviously are you busier so you never have time to socialize. You never have time to go hunting or fishing. You never have time to go see your partner. You, you, you're missing every birthday. You're missing every... I mean, there's ways of um, managing restaurants where you don't have to be there so intensively, but 100% you're going to be there for the first couple of years extremely intensively. And, um, you know, they're, they're hard businesses. And, they, they, I mean, they make good money, but... If I, I looked at it like the other day, I asked somebody's like, you know, they asked me a money question about restaurants. If you divide the amount of hours that you put into it by how much money you make, it's actually not that great. It's good money, but you're putting like 120, 130 plus hours a week into that business. And for me, like Chad, food is about 
enjoying yourself. It's about sharing with people. It's about bringing people together. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I've got a European background and we used to, there'd be 25, 30 of us around Christmas day, eating food and enjoying and drinking. And that's what it's about. So when, when I had a restaurant that, that got taken away from me a little bit, you know what I mean? So I thought, you know, how do I get back? Cause I love food and I'll never move away from it, but how do I do it where I still have that passion? I, I still can show people how to, you know, um, play around with food, but not be a slave to drunk patrons and huge hours. And that's where television started, you know, becoming a good idea. Cause now it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. I can still cook for people, um, millions of people. And I just have to make one dish instead of like, you know, the whole um, fiasco of the restaurant. So yeah, I, I don't know if I, I, I would never, man, they'd have to pay me a lot of money to get back into the restaurant game. Would you consider investing in one or is it too difficult for you not to be hands-on and trust and trusting an investment opportunity when you know how difficult the restaurant game can be? I would definitely consult on an investment. If someone said to me, Hey, we're doing like, I'll tell you what I would do. I'll do low, low end food, not low end food, but easy, simple stuff. I would never go back to Michelin restaurants. I would never go back to awarded, you know, mate, I don't want to deal with one more celebrity chef again. Like I'm happy to, to do like in and out kind of food. And I would, that's something I would think about. Um, I would definitely do a chain of restaurants if someone, you know, investment partners or something like that. That's something I would consider. And, and to be honest, those restaurants are the ones that make all the money. That's, that's where it's at. Like if you want to do really high end stuff, uh, you better have deep pockets and um, people that, you know, really skilled people, which are hard to find. It's not easy to find people that can cook on that level. So, is the salt bay overrated, Mario, or is this a fad? Does he yeah, drop the salt down his elbow? Like, what is this guy all about with 50 yeah. million Instagram followers? Can he really cook, or is he just, like, what's going on here? Man, how I'm sorry, but like, cooking a steak is probably the easiest thing to cook on the planet, right? So, <laughs> I don't care how you sprinkle that salt, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Yeah, Instagram fad. He's not a chef. I don't even know what the guy does, but I can't even watch it. I mean, I'm not a hater at all. I'm the first one to say, you know, good job or whatever. But you know, I don't think uh, sprinkling salt on a on a steak is is a is considering you know some culinary expert. And then- I went I went to his place in New York two weeks ago. He wasn't there, and I and I'm being honest. Like, ambiance is cool. But I wasn't blown away. I'm telling you right now, I was not blown away. And again, I become a very, I'm not bougie, but I'm very critical of steaks. Okay. I did a bone in ribeye there of Tomahawk. I did the lamb and I did the rib cap. And I, I wasn't like, wow, like this is worth $3,000 for us six to eat here. You know, it's like crazy expensive because of this, of, of this marketing and showcasing, which more power to you go get it, bro. But I wasn't like, I wasn't like, Wow, this is where the stars come. Why? Like I wasn't blown away by it. They come there so they can spend ten thousand dollars on a steak and say they did it. You know, that's it. I heard a guy. I was in Vegas. Where was I? Uh, oh, geez. I can't remember where I was. I think it was in Europe. Anyway, it wasn't that long ago. And there was one there, and this couple were, were talking to me and my girlfriend, and they were like, they were telling us they paid ten thousand dollars for two of them to eat a steak each. Like obviously they got money, but why? Like how? Yeah, the gold wrap. He's that, got he's got that, him wrapped in he's got him wrapped in gold when you walk in there, right? And they're and and it's called the gold cut or whatever, and it's got the price got. tag. Yeah, it's crazy. Why would you bother, man? I'm telling you right now. Give me a grass fed or grain finished, you know, um, New Zealand or Australian wagyu or a Kobe from Japan, and that would pr- definitely taste as good as whatever. That ten thousand dollars steak is tasting right. A hundred percent. Are you a fan of wagyu, or do you think it's too rich? I love it. I love fatty meat, man. Like I shouldn't be saying this because I'm a wild game advocate, and I'm all about going into the wild, right? So to be honest, like it goes against a little bit against my beliefs, but it's a different thing, right? So we're just talking about if you want to talk about health benefits, that's why I preach what I preach and why. I do what I do because I enjoy the whole 
the whole um, experience of going outside. And I believe it is better for you. But if you're talking about flavor, those things taste pretty good, man. They're, they're fattened up and they're buttery and, you know, it's, uh, it's a different thing altogether. Um, what about you? You a big fan? Uh, I, I like it for like two or three bites. It's almost like the same mindset I have of, of this is going to sound stupid, but a Bloody Mary. Like I get all fired up. Like, oh, it's Sunday. I'm going to have a great Bloody Mary. And then I get two sips into it. I'm like, ah, I'm over it. Like I'm just, I just don't like a lot of Bloody Marys, even though they look cool and they're appetizing with the bacon and the olives and this and that. And um, I've been to some amazing Bloody Mary bars in like Fort Lauderdale or Bo- Boca Raton. And you walk in there and they're like, got this whole thing set up choose your vodka, choose your mix, choose all this. Stuff. And I'm like, I'm done by three sips. So like Wagyu is so rich to me to when I eat it, it's just not an experience that I look forward to for the long run. But I'm the same way with barbecue. Like people are like barbecue, brisket and pork butt and all this. And then I eat three bites of brisket and I'm good for like six months. Like I like a good ribeye in a good New York strip, or I like a good filet. You know, I don't, there's not a lot of fat on a filet mignon, but I like the flavor and I like the tenderness of it. I'm really like a prime cut guy. I need to send you some of our beef from American almond beef. If you look at American almond beef, like the nut, the almond, Look at look at it real quick. AmericanAlmondBeef.com. That's a company that we launched a little over a year ago. And wow. we're uh, we're feeding a proprietary blend of feed to our steers. We're finishing them from about 900 to 1,300 pounds before slaughter. And we're getting amazing results with the marbling, the fat, the hamburgers. Absolutely amazing. Um, but all of our prime cuts, all of our meat is really good. We're getting a great response to it. So we started that we're, we started with like two steer wow, a month and cool, man. yeah, now we're, 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 uh, we're getting, we're slaughtering 17 to 25 steer a month now. So, uh, right. it's growing, it's really starting to grow for us. And I think it's because of the flavor, the taste, the experience with it, but yeah, I like Wagyu. I like Kobe beef, but I'd much rather eat a prime cut that's cooked right, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll get you set up with that. I'll send some out for you to sample and let me know that. what you think. Yeah. So I noticed you're doing a lot with um, Chad Belding. That's cool. Mendez, using- you mean? You mean oh, Mendez? Sorry, sorry, Chad Mendez. Yeah, that's Mendez. I, I'm is my, getting you guys confused. Yeah, I wish I could fight as good as him, but I, uh, but I do. I, I work. I work with Chad and our our rub line, the provider that we did the cookbook with, and then um, and then the the American almond beef he's a part of too. So I'll You'll send you some cuts send, out and send me some of your spices too. Yeah, I will this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I guess there's levels to uh, wagyu and and marbling too, which is a, a very important point we should add. Like. You know, a, a plus nine score is something that you can't eat 20 ounces of that. You know what I mean? You feel sick. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so I, I think like a six, six, around a six or seven score is about my limit with the fat content on a, on a piece of steak. So do you like all wild game? Are you, do, would you say, I absolutely love venison. I love alligator. I love rattlesnake i love halibut mm. i love ducks and geese i can make a pheasant because you you nailed it at the beginning mario like i only cook fez i only eat pheasant if i cook it now does that sound stupid but i, I go so many places where it's cream of mushroom soup and they dry it out in this this like goulash and i'm like i don't want that i yeah, want yeah. pheasant cooked right so like do you like all wild game like i just did a canada goose liver pate two weeks ago in new york and i i ate it and i looked at my friend joel who brought the idea from wisconsin i said i don't like this i i would not eat that again i would not eat it again do you like it all nah i don't there's some of it i don't like i mean it's it's (laughs) the palate is a is a is a very interesting um and this is very important for people to know the palate is something that is matured and built into your brain, right? That's that's why you like or you don't like something. If you eat something enough, you start liking it. If you, this is the first time you've eaten something, it takes time to for your palate to start maturing. So there's a lot of stuff I haven't eaten, and I eat it, and I'm like, ooh, that's like, like I don't, I'm not a big fan of anchovies, for example, like, and but I eat everything, like I literally eat everything. Chad, you, there's nothing you can put on my plate that I won't eat. I'll eat anything on the planet. Do I like everything? That's a different story, right? So I'm with you on the pates. You know, some of them are too strong. 
Um, you know, like I know this big thing now with liver, like you got this liver king guy and everyone's like liver, eat organs. Like, you know, I follow a couple of these guys like um, Carnivore MD and liver king and all these guys. And they're saying like eat testicles. Like I don't have the urge to put testicles in my mouth and start chewing on <laughs> Right. I'm sorry, dude. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it with sheep and bulls. And I mean, it's like if you if you're at a branding or if you're at a nut cutting and you take them off and you see a real cowboy sear them and eat them that way, there is some culture behind that, but it's not that enjoyable. And then every other place you go, Severance, Colorado, on the front range of Colorado where Canada goose hunting is so prolific, there's a place called Bruce's Bar. It says where the geese fly. And the bulls cry because they serve nuts. Uh, all you know, some on one day a week, it's all you can eat nuts. And I'm like, dude, you could fry, you could, you could fry coyote, bat, you know, hind quarter and make it taste good. Like you could fry a lot of stuff with a good batter. Right. So I, I understand what you're saying. It's like we we have the mentalities need to utilize the whole animal. Mm. I, I think that that's really cool. But like, I'm not a huge fan of like sea urchin i don't like i don't like a lot of saltwater eels I, I i look down at like i'm a huge sushi nut like i'll eat raw fish until i'm blue in the face um unagi, I don't like, you don't like unagi i love unagi but i don't like the saltwater eels i like the freshwater eel right, um, right. but i saw what a eel actually. yeah yeah no, the sea urchin i'm just like uh but but i could eat yeah, i could eat they call that kieran um kieran uh, yeah kieran yeah 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 i, I actually don't mind it but only a little bit yeah, a little tiny bit, but I, I'm with you. I'll eat anything, but I just, people have such a weird mental block about wild game. You know, mm -hmm. like, it's like, I won't eat that. And then you trick them and then they're like, oh my God, this is so good. And then as soon as you tell them, well, that's duck, they're like, try to spit it out. And I'm like, wait a minute, you just said how good it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so take me through your, your, your ideology on this, Mario. Why, why are you so geeked up? about showcasing wild game cuisine i i, I want to believe it's because it really is beneficial and very healthy but there's so much more that goes into it that i want you to touch on the ethics mm -hmm. the mindset of being a hunter gatherer the mm -hmm. compassion for the animals we pursue the mm -hmm. respect for that resource and, and feeding the bounty to our friends and family and then Obviously, it's the freaking adrenaline rush and the chase and the hunt. And I don't, I'm unapologetic about it. How, how did you get Good. into this? And why are, why at this point in your career, when you could go either start a restaurant or become a, a, an executive chef at a, at a Michelin star restaurant, why do you choose wild game to pursue and showcase the culinary of it? That's a really good question. I, I, for me, it's, it's about, the messaging and the purpose behind why I go out to get wild game. And I, after being in this restaurant business, food business, and also, you know, I was a professional hunting and fishing guide for 10 years as well. Um, I, I saw food change and I, I saw people change over the 20 year course. Um, you know, people now are really, really, I can't stress this enough disconnected from food right even any kind of food even supermarket food people don't actually even know what they're eating like they don't you you ask someone what wagyu beef is they don't know what that is they don't know why there's fat in the beef you ask them where this milk came from anything we're just we're just completely disconnected so to me that's a really sad thing because food is the most important part of living it's everything man what you put in your body is, is, is going to determine how long you live, how good you live, right? Um, you know, whether you're going to recreate good babies because your genetics are like, you know, either had a good start in life or they haven't. It's absolutely the core of your existence is what you are putting inside your body, what nutrients are being taken out. You know, the foundations of you as a human is what you, you're putting in. So for me, like for, for us to forget what, you know, what's good for us, what's not good for us, or even just knowing about it is crazy. So I thought, you know, how can I make a show that really um, reconnects people from the ground up to where their food comes from? And that's what's important to me is, is making sure that we show people from start to finish, hey, this is how you obtain your food. This is why it's good for you. This is where this comes from. This is where that comes from. 
Um, you know, people make their own decisions about what they want to eat and what they don't want to eat. But I feel like I have a, a care of duty, especially after owning the restaurants, to show people, hey, man, this is how it's done. And, you know, like you said, sometimes it is a bit of a selfish thing because I enjoy it. Like, I love it. I'm not going to, it's not all about everyone else. It's about me too. I, this is what I live and breathe. I, I love going out in the wild. I love doing crazy stuff. I love doing going into dangerous and um, unknown places where I'm learning and I'm absorbing different cultures and I'm, you know, um, immersed in the world, the, the natural world that we live in. It's like, that's what we're born to do. We've been genetically built to be amongst nature and going out and harvesting, like breathing the fresh air, jumping in the cold water, having the sun on your face. Like you feel alive when you're doing that. And I want to share that with people. I want, to, I want them to know, hey, man, like living in an apartment, ordering Uber Eats is not natural. You're not going to feel good doing that every day. Trust me. So um, that's, that's really the essence behind why I do what I, I do. Yeah, and it's crazy when you're like in a place like New York or LA to to look around and, and really get a, a a true depiction of how many people have never experienced it. They yeah. don't even they don't even know it exists. Like you live in what they call the concrete jungle. They have no idea that you could even go an hour north of New York City and have an amazing experience with a fishing rod or a shotgun or a bow and arrow. Like and if um, I think that I think that mentorship is very important in introducing new blood to it and doing it the right way. And I think that the way you're doing it with the culinary flair is a very strong message to get people interested in, or at least get them to think more so along the lines of, okay, maybe that elk did live its best life. Right. Now it's now it's feeding a family of six and their friends for the next year. Yep. It didn't, it wasn't in a corral. It didn't go into a slaughterhouse. It wasn't pumped full of all of, all of these steroids throughout its life. It, it was living in God's country and a, a 300 wind mag bullet went through its lungs very fast mm -hmm. and he didn't even feel it. And now his meat and his life is being celebrated either through taxidermy and through culinary. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that there's a better way of living. And then yeah. obviously you do know where your food comes from. There's a, there's a culture behind that and a story and a history of like this elk can be talked about during the meal when we're actually eating the elk, reminiscing, memory, stories being written, memories being made. Um, what cooler way of living is there? What what okay. is you know what I'm saying? Like I could go to Salt Bay and be like, oh, I got a social media video of this guy dropping yeah. salt down his shoulder. But can you really come out in the wild with me and show me that you can take your shoes off and sneak down a riverbank and get up on a white-tailed deer and smoke it and then and then butcher it and then skin it, butcher it, and then serve it to your family? Serve me the the tongue and the tenderloin that night. Can you do that? Like to me, that's awesome. And I, and I love the way you're going about that because people have to understand, like, they could do that too with a lot of practice and, and, and honing a skill set that it's, it's not easy. I don't want people to think what you do is easy. It's, it's a skill set. It's, it's multiple skill sets, right? Because when, so when, the, when the animal's dead, now your, real, your other passion is just now beginning. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. envy, I envy a good butcher. I envy a, a great chef that can throw down on anything. Like I want to be those guys. I want to know how to work a knife. I want to know every part of the animal. I want to know how to fillet a fish. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to make a fire and cook that halibut over an, a shore lunch. That's or that walleye in Minnesota. That is badass, right? Right. hundred percent. It's what we're meant to do. I mean, genetically we're meant to do this. This is not something it's become weird now. Like if, you know, if you talk to a normal person, like a, when I say normal, if you talk to a person that doesn't hunt on fish, they think it's crazy. They're like, what? You go out there and you catch something and then you, what, you carve it up? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Like, just because everyone else has forgotten how to do it doesn't mean it's weird or wrong. It's, it's actually what we're meant to be doing. You should know how to do this. Like, you know, don't you want to know, like, you know, how your food gets onto your plate. Like, I, I feel like it's like something that everyone on the planet should know. And going back to what you said, like, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out into the mountains of Montana and shoot a, a elk with a bow at a hundred yards and then carry the whole thing out by yourself. No, like I, I don't, you know, like I just moved to Florida, right? 
I saw a dad the other day, a, a, a young dad with his kid, and the kid was like five, right? And he caught a fish. Man, I, I can tell you right now, that look on that kid's face, I can tell you he will never, ever forget that moment. Like, that was it. And so to me, it's like even that experience, catching your own little fish, taking it home, putting it on the barbecue, grilling it, bit of lemon, bit of parsley, whatever. That's it. That's all, that's all you need to do to, to start you know, understanding the whole experience and appreciating where your food comes from. Yeah, and I, th I think that, I guess we have to figure out a way to get the audience bigger because man, there is nothing cooler. There's just nothing neater than watching you throw down on a meal with so much passion. And I would be, I would argue this in a courtroom of court of law with my hand on a Bible with the oath that's saying that, Cooking what you kill with a glass of wine or a a, a, a cocktail around a, a, a duck camp or a deer camp or a wall tent or wherever you are, a fish camp, life doesn't get any finer. Like you could be in Paris at the finest French restaurant in the world or in the Spanish Riviera or at Francis Ford Coppola's place in Belize. That's awesome. But you put me at duck camp. With a cold beer and me having my create my creative juices flowing on what I get to do with this duck and these vegetables and maybe a starch and pair it with maybe a red wine that night. Like I get like goosebumps, no pun intended, thinking about mm -hmm. how how neat that lifestyle is. I more people need to experience that because they're gonna be like, What have I been missing this whole time? This is unbelievable. There's not a better way to live, I promise you. I, mate, you're a hundred percent right. And, and, you know, the most, the most decadent people all the way down to people that have no money can experience it. Like you don't have to Perfect. be yeah, great point. a rich guy. That's like worth a hundred million dollars to, to experience it. You can, you can have just the shirt on your back, man. Like, and, and you can go out and, and trap and hunt and do whatever you want. And, and the, to be honest with you, the, 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 the most wealthy guys I know, that I'm going like guys that are billionaires, right? They enjoy what you just said more than going to the fine restaurants. They actually, they used to pay me, right? When I was a, I was a professional guide in New Zealand, right? The the most wealthy guys on the planet would say to me, I'd be like, Do you want me to do all this fancy food? And they're like, No, we just want to sit around the we just want to sit around the fire and and, and drink some beer and eat over the flames. Like like you know, we eat fancy crap every day of the week. We come here to hunt with you so we can not wear our shoes. We can sit around the fire. We can talk crap, laugh, and, and you know, feel like men again, like not like slaves to our work. So you're 100% right, Chad. Yeah, I just, there's so much to be said about a camp, of an outdoor camp, that the camaraderie, the kinship, the socialization, the friendships, the bond, um, it just, it can't be replaced. And what's so neat about it is that everything does come to an end, but hunt camp is something that lives on forever. And when you get back there the next year, you just keep building on that last experience. And now this year, everybody brings an idea like, Hey, I got this side this night. I'm cooking this night. Hey, I brought this new bacon from these pigs. My buddy got off this quote unquote Wagyu pig breed over in Spain. I want to do some duck wrap bacon. You know, everybody wants to do poppers and poppers have been like the mainstay or the crutch or the staple for duck breasts for so long, but you can have like a popper contest. You could get creative and these guys come to camp and they're like, dude, I made this unbelievable meal. You taught me last year at camp. I did it for my wife and her mom. And they were, they were, their minds were blown. Right? Like that's the stuff that comes out of it. Like how can we get more? How can we feel this feeling right here on this little piece of Arkansas dirt? How can we find that in North Dakota? How can we find that in Montana? And that's that's how hunting camps just spread. And that consistency and messaging that you talked about earlier is so key because it is that special. It is that authentic. It is that, that, that so cherished by you and I and so many hunters, men and women, young and old alike, that... Hunters never die. Hunting camp never dies. It never goes away. It's an unbelievable part of our soul that will live into us, live with us forever. That's why it's so important to get introduced to it. And a lot of people 
don't take that first step of finding a mentor or getting introduced to it. And to me, that's sad. I'm not saying your life's not going to be fulfilled or complete, but it's sad if you never get to experience you or me or your friends cooking around an open fire at hunting camp or fish camp. Yeah, 100% agree. Everyone should do it at least once in their life. I think that's a a duty of care like to your kids to at least give them an experience once in their life to go out and, and experience either camping or hunting or harvesting or, you know that's that should be a standard practice in in someone's life so what do you have going on i want to continue this we'll come back with part two with mario man eats wild you have new episodes on outdoor channel you have a new season you just got done filming do you have merch do you sell rubs do you have cooking supplies do you have a cookbook that we could pick your brain a little bit what's going on in your world that that we can relish with so so we're at that stage now you know relatively i'm a quite a new brand you know i'm on the second season on my show about to go into a third season um, you know, we're doing really well with ratings and it's, it's going off the charts at the moment. Um, the next stage for us is definitely getting to merch is getting into retail stuff. That's, um, that's, we've been having a lot of meetings on all that kind of stuff. Cookbook is 100% something that I've wanted to do for 15 years. Like, so I just haven't had chance or time. That's the problem. Now, now that I'm not in the restaurants. I would like to do an individualized uh, four cookbooks, one on everything ocean, one on everything land. I'd love to do a bird one, um, you know, waterfowl and bird stuff, which maybe we can talk about together. And then, um, you know, uh, I want to do a travel book as well, which is uh, basically a book about, you know, different recipes around all the different places that I've been to. Cause I've, I've done over 40 something countries in the world. So, wow. um, you know, each, each one I've taken all these different amazing experiences. And, and thing is, Chad, I still, I mean, you, with, with, I tell you the one thing I love about food is that you never stop learning, man. You never, ever, ever stop learning. I think I know all these recipes and then someone goes, Oh, do, do you know what this is? And they'll put uh, be some weird vegetable I've never heard of. And I'm like, no, I've never heard of that. Well, this is what you can do with that. Bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, oh, blown away. Um, especially when you go overseas, you know, you go to different weird countries and they're cooking in different ways and you're learning all the time. So I want to do a travel book. Um, and then off the back of that, you know, would love to do a barbecue or something like that, a signature barbecue and, and cutlery and crockery. So there's so much to do, man. Like it's just, uh, it's a building process. So that's probably next year. Look out for that. Um, that's where we want to get into. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy filming the show. We've got a new season next year. I'm going to do South America. Um, so I've got some crazy, I'm, I'm learning how to skydive right now. So I'm um, my new thing for next year is jumping out of the airplanes and, and parachuting into locations and then seeing if I can make my way back and hunt wild game on the way back home. So are you you really want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> i want to i oh, want to just start taking it to the next level man I'm, I'm doing crazy stuff at the moment like you know i i whitewater rafted down the end of the zambezi river which is full of crocodiles man um so that was insane um and then you know um jumped out of a hot air balloon in the middle of sauces flay desert um and hunted gemspock there you know, gone through, like waded through crocodile infested waters in, in um, the Northern Territory. So there's like, my show really does touch on like that sort of extreme element. Um, and I enjoy doing that stuff. I really want to keep pushing the limits with that stuff because why do I do it? It's not because I, I mean, I do love it, but I feel like it inspires people and it just gets people really excited. And I think for guys like us, it's important to be educational, which we are, and that's that's the information side of it. But I think it's really important also to be inspirational, right? So we do things that make people go, wow, that's cool. I want to do that. And and, and that's really the hook, getting people into um, doing like things that may be perceived as not so fun, but all of a sudden become like, wow, that's, that looks really cool. So that's the plan next year. I love it, man. I can't wait to watch um tell us when we can find the shows it's airing right now are you all year round on outdoor channel man eats wild 
Yeah, we got we got plenty of content still coming out. We've, I think we've got another 15 or 16 weeks of uh, the show playing. Um, Outdoor Channel 7.30 uh, Eastern Standard. Um, every Monday, new episodes come out. We're up to episodes five or six right now. That will play out for another five weeks, and then the whole series will play again. Um, and then, yeah, next year we've got Series 3 coming out. Please give us a follow on Nan Eats Wild TV. I was like the old school guy in the room that didn't like social media, that told Facebook, see you later. It's, so now I'm regretting it because I wish I started my content five years ago when everyone else was doing it. But we have a, we have a really strong social media that's, that's really kicking off now. So I appreciate any uh, followers and support on that. And uh, yeah, I think we start a YouTube channel in January, which could be fun. Oh, nice. Manny's Wild YouTube channel coming January 2020. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of like you with the social media, man. I wish it'd go back to going away, but I we got we got a lot of content going to YouTube now, um, looking at a bunch of OTT stuff, and then we have 52 weeks of TV on the Outdoor Channel. But yeah, YouTube and social, I'm just trying to play by the rules and do what I can, but we're launching a new camo space called Camo Space. It's a new social media platform right now. Go build your app, please, Mario. It's going to be great for Man Eats Wild Camo Space. Um, we're, uh, it's going to be a new home and community for hunters and fishers and outdoors men and women to, to not get, you know, to not get deemed sensitive material. We're not going to get blocked on there. Um, we want everybody to celebrate this lifestyle and the experiences that they share in mother nature and the wild outdoors. So camo space is the wave of the future. In my opinion, we're going to be pushing that hard and uh, can't wait to have you back on the show. My man, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time, man. I really, really love what you're doing. And Hey, you know what? What? We need to go hunting. Yeah, we let's to, go. We need I, to do it. We need I'll, to do it. I'll send you some, uh, I will send you some dates for this year. I want to get you in camp, kill some mallards, and then throw down on some uh, some wild game recipes with ducks and geese. Would love to do that with you, Chad. That's Mario, man. He's wild. Y'all got to check this dude out. He absolutely gets it. I love watching his content, his TV show. Check him out on the Outdoor Channel, and uh, we will have him back here at the Foul Life Podcast. Mario, thanks for being on. I'll talk to you offline in a second. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Our Foul Life Podcast absolutely has blown me away with the response in the audience. Thank you guys and girls so much. Let's keep doing it. We'll bring you diverse topics, guests weekly. And um, I can't say thank you enough. Thank you to all of our partners and sponsors. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. This is the rock band, 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life.